Father, we thank you that we can come and hide in you. We can come with our deepest groanings and burdens, struggles, and you help us. Help us today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. If you've had a chance to be in the prayer room and have looked at uh, the wailing wall, the big uh, piece of whiteboard that people have written on, it's evident that there are many burdens and concerns that we bring to prayer. There are many prayers that we are calling out to God to answer. There are requests and prayers. You can feel it as you as you read through what people have written. And one of the things that, that has interested me as I've read through some of that and some of what people have written in the prayer journal is that there is a, a crying out to God to answer prayer and the struggle of what to do when he doesn't. You know, there are many facets of prayer that we have talked about and there are Many, many more that we could talk about. In fact, I said to someone this week, you know, when you start thinking about prayer, you open one door to something and there's 87 more doors. But it seems to me that, um, that one of the most difficult challenges for us in trying to get a, a grasp of prayer is the struggle of answered prayer. Of trying to figure out how God answers prayer, and why he does or doesn't answer prayer, and all of those questions that surround our yearnings about God giving us what we pray for. We understand the disappointment of unanswered prayer. We understand the struggle of claiming this promise that that Jesus gives to his disciples, that, that those who seek will find, and those who ask it will be given to them and those who knock the door will be open and and we claim that promise and then we sit back and wonder well why isn't it happening we understand the pain of praying a long time about something so important and so deep in us and and seeing no change we understand the temptation in the midst of all that sometimes to give up on prayer because it seems as though it doesn't make any difference. Maybe we feel somewhat like the guy in the story from Reader's Digest years ago. There was a, a messenger who came out of a building and he was paged on his beeper. And he was told to, to go make a delivery at the name. They gave the name of a company. It was like a 12-syllable, tongue-twisting place. And he's looking like, what? And he looks up at the sky and says, God, where am I supposed to go? And almost instantaneously, his beeper came back on again with the address of the company. And there was a guy watching all this, and he put his hands up in the sky and said, Lord, why don't you ever answer my prayers like that? We understand that. You know, we understand and we wonder, Lord, why them and not me? Why that and not this? But contrary to what we may sometimes believe, the Bible is clear to tell us that God always answers our prayers. 
David says in Psalm 65, Praise await you, O God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled, O you who hear and answer prayer. And I suspect that our struggle is in coming to grips with the way in which God answers prayer. Sometimes unanswered prayer is about timing. It's about God's purposes being greater than ours. A few years ago, I I was contemplating a prayer emphasis here at our church. It was completely different than what we've done here. But I was contemplating some type of prayer emphasis, and I I mentioned it to a few people, and and honestly, it was met with uh, lukewarm resistance. And uh, so I decided, okay, well, I guess that isn't the right thing to do. And and honestly, I was a little disappointed, and I'm sure I was a bit judgmental uh, toward them. Um, so when this prayer when this prayer idea came to me, I was a little bit hesitant about it. So I was using various groups of people to sort of see if we were crossing these hurdles to whether we should do this or not. And the first group, yeah, let's do it. And the next group, yes, we should do this. And the next group, this is fantastic. And on and on. And here we are. And it's been amazing. And you know what I've just thought about recently is that, is, is that I realized that the prayer emphasis I was thinking about, I don't know, five, six, whatever years ago, was really pretty small. And I was unprepared to engage myself in it. And we were unprepared to engage ourselves in it. And I had no concept of of really what God might want to do with us in prayer. And honestly, I'm not sure I was as enthusiastic about it as I should have been, which is probably one reason other people weren't enthusiastic about it. And I look where we are now, and I can say that I'm grateful to God that, that that prayer emphasis didn't happen. Because I suspect it, would have, it wouldn't have had done what we wanted it to do. It would, have, it would have probably failed, and it might have left a bitter taste in our mouths. So that when this prayer emphasis came, that's obviously been something of God, it might have made us resistant to it. God had something else in mind. You know, I find that timing is often connected with our readiness to receive what God desires to give. If a little baby sees you eating hot buffalo wings and wants some, it might not be the best thing to give it to them. If you do, it would be hard on them and probably hard on you. But when they get older and their stomach is developed and you're eating hot buffalo wings, sure, share them. Is it possible that there's something of that at work in the way God answers our prayers? I think about this with with the Lazarus, the story of Lazarus in the 11th chapter of John's gospel. Mary Martha, his sisters, discover, realize that he's really sick and he's probably not going to make it. And so they, they send a messenger to Jesus, come now. Because Lazarus is sick and we want you to heal him. And, and Jesus, but Jesus doesn't come now. He waits probably up to a week. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead and has been buried in a tomb for four days. And Mary and Martha are not real happy with Jesus. 
And when he gets there, both of them independently say to him, you know, Lord, if you had come earlier, my brother wouldn't have died. You translate that, Jesus, if you had answered our prayer the way we wanted you to, this never would have happened. What's wrong with you? And the neighbors around are whispering, you know, you think a guy that could heal a blind man could, would have come and healed him before. And we discover that Jesus is interested not just in the miraculous. He's interested in the phenomenal. Because Jesus delays the timing of his coming, Lazarus is not just healed. He's raised from the dead. And John tells us that there were many Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did and put their faith in him. And sometimes we pray for things to happen now. And God says, slow down. If I give you the desires of your heart now, it'll be good. But if you wait for my timing, it'll be great. See, God is far more concerned about the big picture than we tend to be. God is concerned not just about our productivity in life, but he's concerned about holiness in our lives. God's concerned about the long run, not this, the short run. And God is concerned about our productivity and he is concerned about the short run, but always in the perspective of the bigger, deeper picture that's hard for us to see. Because his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. And we forget how finite and limited is our vision. I used to pray that God would make me rich. I said, God, you know, if you made me rich, I could handle it. I would give, I would, I would support your kingdom all over the place. You, you just don't know how generous I would be. And I think the Lord laughed like you did. You know, I'm coming to, you know, you're not, you're not ready for that. It's obvious that he was telling me that. And I've been saying to him lately, Lord, you're right. I wasn't ready for that then, but I think I am now. <laughs> Sometimes God is more interested in the deeper things than we are. Think about the Apostle Paul who prayed for God to remove the thorn from him. That thing that's agonizing his life. And God says, no, I want you to hang on to that. And instead, I'm going to take you through that and with that into a deeper place of grace. A place where you simply aren't going to be able to get to if I remove that thorn. You know, unanswered prayer is difficult for us because we don't see things the way God does. And sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because it would bring harm to us or it would bring harm to other people. Imagine how God deals with the farmers who pray for rain and the people going on a picnic who pray for sunshine. That's just a little tiny thing. We wonder, we ought to wonder, uh, do my prayers have any effect on other people? Is there a sense, is it possible that the, the thing I'm yearning for really isn't good for me? Or maybe it's going to cause negative consequences for other people. And that doesn't mean we stop praying because it might, it might reflect negatively on other people. But it does help us to get an understanding, a little bit at least, of maybe why our prayers aren't answered 
as we ask. And sometimes our unanswered prayer isn't because it's wrong or because it's going to hurt somebody else or because the timing is bad or because we aren't quite ready to receive it. Sometimes it's simply a matter of God saying no. Like a parent in response sometimes to a child who says no and the child says why and the parent says because I said so. We don't like that. We want God to do something more than that, to give us more information than that. But there are times where God simply says no, and if I tried to explain it to you, you couldn't understand it. So it's just no. And it's hard because we think about our prayers and we, we realize there's, there's nothing, it doesn't seem to be anything harmful about it. There doesn't, it doesn't seem to be an unreasonable prayer. It doesn't seem to be uh, something that's inherently wrong. And, and we, we hear God say no and we think, but why? And we get no answer and we wrestle with that and we struggle with that. And I haven't got an answer for you for that. I don't know. Because I'm in the same boat wrestling as you are. I just know that sometimes that's God's answer. But I do know that when God says no, and it's hard for us to reconcile and we can't figure it out, it's not these other more explainable reasons. I think God is looking for two responses from us. One is to, that he wants us to reveal our faith by continuing to pray. Continuing to pray even when we don't get an answer from God. And second, to ask God in the midst of that, Lord, what is it you want to do in my life through this unanswered prayer? What do you want to do in me? How do you want to use this disappointment, this struggle, this unanswered prayer, in my opinion, to make me the person you want me to be? And that's hard. Because we get that up here, but we have a hard time getting it in here where we really live particularly when you're in the middle of it. I think it, sometimes it's just simply a matter of God helping us to understand that not answering our prayer is going to drive us deeper into relationship with him. That's why the 19th century author George Meredith, who went through many difficult trials and unanswered prayers in his life, once wrote, whoever rises from prayer a better person, that prayer is answered. But I have found that our struggle isn't just with unanswered prayer. Sometimes our struggle is with answered prayer. And you're thinking, well, that's crazy. I mean, that's the whole point. I pray, I get what I want. That's exactly what I'm trying to get to happen. That would be perfect. It would be great. Would it? We read about King Hezekiah this morning, and in 2 Kings, it tells us a little more of the story of his healing. He's sick, and, and, he, and he's getting worse, and God sends the prophet Isaiah to tell him he's, he's done. He's not going to make it. This is it. And Hezekiah begs God and prays God, and so God concedes, and he sends Isaiah back to him and says, all right, here's the deal. God's going to heal you. You're going to get 15 more years of life, and Hezekiah's ecstatic, as you can well imagine. Unfortunately, during those 15 years, Hezekiah commits some some atrocious political blunders. His pride gets in the way, and it creates disastrous circumstances for a long time for the people of Israel. 
And during those 15 years, Hezekiah has a son. Manasseh becomes king when Hezekiah dies. And what does the writer of Chronicles say about Manasseh? Manasseh, shed, Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the, destroyed before the Israelites got there. And the writer of Kings says, Manasseh shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. That's not that God is punishing Hezekiah for begging to be healed, but God does allow the answers to our prayers to have their natural consequences in life. You think about earlier on, Israel asked for a king, and God knows it's a bad idea. But he concedes, and he gives them a king, and it, it's, the kings lead them into idolatry and eventually into exile. And we say, well, then God shouldn't have answered that prayer. That's God's fault. God shouldn't answer our prayers when we pray like pray for bad things. And I say, well, then which way do we want it? You know, we complain when God doesn't answer our prayer the way we want, then we complain when God does and doesn't turn out the way we want. Think about people who win the lottery. And studies have shown that the people who win those great big jackpots, virtually every one of them regrets having won that. Their lives are ruined, their friendships are ruined, they are ruined. So many of the big winners say, I wish it had never happened, it was a nightmare. Because sometimes... When we get what we want, we don't want what we get. And I think a lot of of our struggle about answered prayer and unanswered prayer is our need to control. I want answers to my prayers to be something that I control instead of leaving those into the uncontrollable, mysterious hands of God. I kind of like prayer to be a magic formula. If I do this, this, and this, then I get what I want. But do we really want a God that we can manipulate? Do we really want a God who's a puppet on our string? Don't we want a God who's bigger and wiser and stronger and greater than we are, even when this means that that very God we worship is mysterious and uncontrollable and unmanageable? Don't we want something bigger than us? The reality is, if you really think about it, unanswered prayer can be a real protection for us. Because in that unanswered prayer, it can break us and deepen us and transform us. And we begin to see that God being in control, as hard as that is sometimes for us to to let go, God being in control is so much better than us being in control. It's amazing to me when you look at some of these biblical stories of people and their short-sighted prayers, that in the midst of them, there is God's grace. The kings of Israel, you know, they lead Israel astray, and God doesn't want to, it's a short-sighted prayer they pray, and yet it's through that very royal family that Jesus comes to redeem the world. Think about Manasseh. And all the the sins that he committed and what he did to Israel. And yet at the end of his life, when he repents, God forgives him and restores him. Think about the prodigal son. You know, what a short-sighted prayer. Give me my inheritance now. He goes off and he wastes all of it. And he comes back with his tail between his legs, begging for a servant's job. And you'd think his father would say, I told you so. Get out of my house. 
When his father opens his arms wide and welcomes him home, my son has returned. Thank God. And it takes us back to where we started with all this talk about prayer through these weeks, back to the nature and the character of the one who answers our prayers. The recurring theme, the one foundation through this entire fall of thinking about prayer is this, that all prayers and all answers to prayer are rooted in the nature and the character of God, our Heavenly Father, who loves us and who loves to do good for us. I see no time more important to come back to that foundation and to remind us of that foundation than when we are processing our struggles with answers to prayer. Because if we don't believe that God is good and loving and for us, then our wrestling with answers answers to prayer will become a struggle that we're not going to be able to overcome. It will eat at us and burden us and embitter us and eventually destroy us. Because everything we've said today, everything we've said makes sense only if we believe that God is good and loving and wants only what's best for us. It's it's precisely that God doesn't answer all of our prayers the way we want them to, that we know God cares for us. If God gave us everything we asked for, we'd be in much more of a mess than we think we're in now. We'd become spoiled children. Our lives would continually be be a trouble. Think about, you know, a a parent that, that lets their child play in the middle of the street simply because the child asks to. Would we say that's a loving parent? And our children don't understand, particularly when they're small, they don't understand our no. They think we're being mean. They think we're being harsh. They think we don't understand, that we don't love them. And we've all been through that on on one side or the other. How much more our loving Heavenly Father Psalm 13, the writer asks some of the questions that we ask. Not sure what God is doing. He's got all sorts of questions about why God isn't doing what he's hoping and wishing God would do. And then you come to the end of it. And the heart of the writer comes out as he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. And that's the answer to our deepest struggle. It doesn't eliminate our questions It doesn't minimize our pain and our anguish. It doesn't do away with our desires and our yearnings for God to work as we see it. But it does begin to erode our fear and our concern and our struggle because it's allowing God to create in us a trusting heart. And we're still probably going to question God. But because we believe, we know that no matter what happens, whether our prayer is answered the way we want it to be or not, God loves us and God's always going to be doing good for us whether we see it or not. And it's not that we stop praying. Jesus says to be persistent in our prayers. Paul says pray without ceasing. But it's prayer rooted and grounded and founded in the love of God. And when we begin to understand prayer, This primary purpose of of building a deeper relationship with our loving Father. 
And the key question that we begin to ask is not so much, why don't you give me what I pray for? But do I trust God to give me what he knows is best? Even when it appears that God is doing nothing, God is always at work. Sometimes we can't see it. but We believe it's true because we believe God is good. I don't know why God doesn't answer, answer some of the prayers that we desire and why he doesn't other prayers the way we desire. But if our God is truly who we believe he is, then somehow we can believe and trust that he has a good reason, whether we can see it or not. I spent seven of the first eight years of my life living in the town of Mitchell, Indiana. It's in the southern part of the state, a couple of hours, almost directly south of Indianapolis. The town of Mitchell, about 5,000 people, is famous for two things. One is, the, uh, it was until maybe a decade or, ago or so ago when the company moved south, it was the home of carpenter buses. And if you were to drive on the highway on the west side of of that little community, you would see a massive sea of yellow school buses. And all of them in various stages of production. And I remember as a child coming home and driving into town and seeing those buses and thinking, oh, we're home. Those buses represented that for me. But Mitchell is also famous because it's the home of Gus Grissom was one of the first American astronauts. In fact, most of the time we lived there, we lived on Grissom Street. How well I remember a tragic day in January 27, 1967. We were living in Mitchell when Gus Grissom and Ed White and, and Roger Chafee were in a training capsule and down at uh, Cape Kennedy. And something sparked in that capsule, and they were encased in pure oxygen. And the fire broke out, and they were gone in seconds. And I remember the devastation of that on that little town. It's maybe because of that that I've always had an interest in the space program. I love reading about it. I love watching things about it. And maybe that's why Apollo 13 is one of my favorite movies. If you aren't familiar with that film, it's, it's the harrowing story of, based on the, the true story of astronauts Jim Lovell and Fred Hayes and, Fred, and uh, Fred Jack Swigert, who in 1971, after were launched into space with the intention of landing on the moon. But it wasn't very long into their flight that something went terribly wrong And out of that came Jim Lovell's famous words, Houston, we have a problem. As they tried to figure out what had happened and and how they were going to fix it, no one knew for sure the problem was so serious as to whether they were going to get back to earth or not. But everyone was doing everything they could. In the minds of the the people working was was that tragedy just four years earlier. And they were working hard to not let something like that happen again. 
The movie has only really three points of contact. The spacecraft, the astronauts are going through the ups and downs of trying to deal with, cope with this situation they're in and not having any idea how it's going to turn out. And mission control, where the brightest and the best of this nation are doing everything in their power to figure out how to get those astronauts home as they encounter problem after problem after problem after problem. And the third place is the Lovell home. Where his wife Marilyn and children are surrounded by family and friends hoping and praying and watching television constantly looking for some new word about their husband, father, friend, and family member. As the spacecraft is nearing the earth, there are so many problems to be worked out. And the margin for error is so slim. During those final hours, there is a particularly intriguing scene that takes place in the Lovell home that I have always found captivating and intriguing. Twenty-four days already than any other man. And I asked him recently if he ever was scared. Oh, well, I've had an engine flame out a few times at an aircraft and was kind of curious as to whether it was going to light up again, things of that nature. But uh, they, they seem to work out. Is there a specific instance in an airplane emergency when you can recall fear? Uh, well, I tell you, I remember this one time. I'm, uh, I'm in a banshee at night in combat condition, so there's no running lights on the carrier. Uh, it was a Shangri-La when we were in the Sea of Japan, and my, my radar had jammed, and my homing signal was gone because somebody in Japan was actually using the same frequency, and so it was, it was leading me away from where I was supposed to be. And I'm looking down at a big black ocean, so uh, I flip on my map light, and then suddenly, zap, everything shorts out right there in my cockpit. All my instruments are gone, my lights are gone, and I can't even tell now what my altitude is. Uh, I know I'm running out of fuel, so I'm thinking about uh, about ditching in the ocean. And I, I look down there, and then in in the darkness, there's this uh, there's this green trail. It's like a long carpet that's just laid out right beneath me. And it was the algae, right? It was that phosphorescent stuff that gets churned up in the wake of a big ship. And it was it was it was just leading me home. And now, if my cockpit lights hadn't shorted out, there's no way I'd have ever been able to see that. So. Uh, you, uh, you never know what, what events are going to transpire to get you home. Oh. We never know what the difficulties, the unanswered prayers are going to lead us to. I suspect that there are things that we're wrestling with now that feel like the lights have gone out in our cockpit. We're wondering, God, what are you doing? Maybe it's so he can bring us home, bring us to himself, something deeper than what we can even see.
I don't have answers to most of our questions when we start thinking about answers to prayer, and you know that. But I can tell you this. All of my five, every fiber of my being, whether God answers our prayer the way we want Him to or not, God is good. And God is loving. And God is gracious. And we can trust Him. Father, help us to trust you. Help us to see what right now we can't see. In the name of Christ.